Uh, Looking at our foundations of the faith, just a quick recap of last week. Uh, We laid uh, uh, some found work, we kind of, foundation, the groundwork, so to speak. Um, We talked about how, as Ephesians 4.14 tells us, that we want to be grounded in truth so we're not tossed around with every wind of doctrine. And and we looked at the scriptures and how it's our standard for life, it's our standard for judgment. Uh, We know we're going to be held accountable to the scriptures for how we live our life. It's going to be there present during judgment. And so uh, we talked about how if we had an open book test in school, we'd be foolish not to use the book, right? And we have an open book test in life, and we'd be foolish not to use the book. And so the scriptures are that book for us. Uh, It's a book unlike any other books. We talked about how it's the best-selling book of all time. It's unmatched in every way. Um, It's it's sold more copies four times than the second best-selling book of all time over the last 50 years. So it's a it's a book unlike any other book. It's the most loved and the most hated book of all time. We, we looked at some of that. Uh, we looked into how we receive the Scriptures. We know we receive the Scriptures by God, and we spent some time looking at the inspiration of the Bible and how God gave us the Scriptures. And one of the ways we know the Bible's true is because it's inspired by God. He's the ultimate author. We know there's 40 human authors, or over 40 human authors, but yet there's one true author, and that's God Himself. Right? He spoke. The Holy Spirit moved the men. In uh, 2 Peter 1, uh, 19-21, and, and the men wrote. So they penned as God spake. And so we received the word from God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so it's God-breathed, it's inspired. And so the word of God is inspired. And so we looked into some of that uh, last week. And tonight we want to continue some of those thoughts. We want to continue looking into how can we know the Bible is the word of God. And we're going to dive into, and we're not going to get to all these tonight, I probably have sitting in front of you two Wednesday nights worth of material, but that's okay. Um, but we'll, we'll just kind of plod through this and see where we get. We want to look into how do we know the Bible's Word of God. And what I did there is I gave you guys a brief synopsis of what I've got in front of me. You don't want everything I have in front of me. I, you'd be bogged down with, with too much stuff. You'd be trying to keep up and wouldn't be able to. So I gave you kind of a point and some verses and some blanks there. If you wanted to write some notes down or jot some things down, you're more welcome to do so as we kind of walk through some of this. So I just kind of gave you a point and some verses to support it, and I'll, I'll hit on some more things and what's there. Uh, but give you a chance to jot down some things as you so feel led. So uh, Psalm chapter 12, we want to start with the purity of the Word. The purity of the Word. We're going to look tonight at, at some of these things of how we can know the Word of God, or how the Bible is the Word of God. One thing we know about the Scripture is that it's pure. Uh, so we want to, want to look into that. What does it mean when we say the Word of God is pure? Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 says, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And when you think about silver being tried in a furnace of the earth, purified seven times, all the impurities have been removed from it. It is a pure substance, right? If you look on your lesson there, I defined the word pure. Pure defined means free of any contamination, without any unnecessary elements, not mixed with any other substance or material, or it's wholesome and untainted by immorality. And when we say the Word of God is pure, that's ultimately what we're saying is the Word of God is untainted. It is, there is nothing in it that is inaccurate or untrue. It is completely pure. It is completely true. It has been tried. It will stand that. And so we see the Word of God is pure. It's pure in, in all ways. And so the Scriptures tell us, and again, the foundation in which we're going to build upon is the Scripture itself. And so we're going to give a lot of Scripture to support that uh, because that's our stance. Again, my opinion is irrelevant. The Word of God is what is true. And so we will, we will fall back and always rest upon what the Scriptures tell us. And so the Scriptures tell us in Psalm 12, 6, the word of the Lord, the words of the Lord are pure words. And so they are pure. They are, they are moral in every way. They are true in every way. 
The next verse you see there is Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6, and it says, every word of God is pure. And so every single word of God. So let this, let, think on this for just a moment. We look at the entirety of the Bible. And the Bible contains 66 books, and, and it's, a, it's an extensive book. There's a, there's a lot to it. And every word that is contained within Scripture is inspired. We read through the text, and if you're like me, and you have a, you have a Bible reading calendar, maybe you're methodically studying through the Scriptures in some way, shape, or form. Some people do it other, different ways. Maybe you're just going straight through it, or maybe you read a little bit old, a little bit New Testament, a little bit of poetry, or whatever you do. Reading through the Scriptures, and there's some part of the Scriptures you read, and you're like hanging on every word of the Scripture, right? You get to the Gospels, and you see some of those stories about Christ and His journey, and some of the things He did, and you read the book of Acts and the Apostles, and you're like, man, that's awesome. Apostle Paul was bold, and he was fighting persecution and, and preaching the Gospel, and you read it, and you're like, hang on every word. And then you read other parts of the Bible, and maybe you read through Leviticus or Deuteronomy, and you're like, Whew. right? Sometimes this just is what it is, right? It's a little tougher to read, right? Just because you read through some of those laws and maybe you read through the way the, the, the temple and how it was all designed and the intricacies of it and how the table of showbread was built. And, and you read all this stuff and you're like, wow, do I really need to know all this? <laughs> Lord, do I really need this? And the, re- and the reality is, think about this. The Bible says there that every word of God is pure, right? And all scripture is inspired, and so inside of all of those little details in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy and in all those difficult chapters of the Bible or difficult books of the Bible to read, there's some tremendous truths to pull out of there, right? You start studying through those things and you read through like maybe it's the law or maybe you read through the, uh, the way that God uh, designed or laid out the plans for the temple and everything within it. And you start to see how God's a God of order and of detail, right? And we must come to God his way and we can't do things our way. And you see how he's got everything He's, he's, he's structured and organized and all that he does. And there's so many things. Then you read the law and you see all these laws and you're like, oh my goodness, how do they keep all these laws? And then Jesus came to fulfill the law and you're like, praise the Lord. We don't have to hold 600 and some laws, right? We'd be in trouble. Now Jesus fulfilled the law. And so we're under grace, not the law. And so inside of the scripture, when I say that, I say this. All of the Bible is pure. Even the things that we read and we're like, man, this is hard to read. It's pure and there's some great things in it. You read Matthew 1, you read the genealogy, and you're like, in this part, we got, we got this, and you're like, nah, what's this? But then you go back and you look at the history of these people, and it's a tremendous storyline unfolding in the genealogy. Right? You see the people that Jesus, the, the lineage that Jesus came from, and it's, a, it's an amazing lineage. Right? And so in, in all parts of Scripture, not just the, the highlights, we love the David and Goliath stories, and we love those stories, but all of it is pure. All of it is inspired. All of it is true. And every word of God there in Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6 is every word of God is pure. It is absolutely pure. And so when you think about the scriptures, some will say today that, well, it's mostly true, but there are some errors. Right? It's, 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 it's a pretty good book, and it's a good book to live by, but inside of it there's some problems. There's some contradictions. If that's the case, then God's a liar. Because he says that every word of God is pure. He says in, in Psalm 12, verse 6, he says the words of the Lord are pure words, right? And so if, if, if there is an error inside of the Bible, then we're saying, or whoever is saying that, is saying God is a liar. Because God said it's all true. He's saying it's all pure. And so we must be cautious with that. And I've even heard uh, Christians sometimes question some of the things inside the Word. And understand, if we read the Scriptures and we deem there to be a mistake in the Scriptures, I assure you with everything, if we study it, we'll figure it out. It's not an error. There's a, there's a, there, if we deem there to be a contradiction or something that doesn't match up or something doesn't line up, continue studying it and you'll find that it's a problem in our interpretation, not a problem in the Scriptures. Because it says every word of God 
is pure. And so we see the word of God is pure. It is, it is pure. There is no uh, error within it. Let me read you a few more verses. And if you want to jot these down on your lines underneath, feel free to do so for reference points. Psalm 19.8 says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Again, the, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So again, you see the commandment, the word, God's word. It is pure. Psalm 119, 140 says, the, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Let me repeat that one because I love that one. Thy word is very pure, right? The word of God is very pure, therefore thy servant, you and I, should love it, right? He says, Thy servant loveth it, right? The word of God is pure in every way. And so understanding and believing the purity of the Scripture is a crucial thing. We know that the less we think about the Bible, the less impact it will have upon us. Right? If I view this scripture as if I view my Bible as being 90% accurate, well, then I believe there's a 10% error, which makes me begin to question what 10% is wrong. Right? And so if I believe there's any error within it, if I don't believe it's pure, if I believe there's a little bit of uh, outdated stuff in there, it's not true today, then, I've, then, then what part is true and what part's not? And it brings all that into question. And the scriptures tells us that it's, it's entirely pure. The entirety of the word of God is pure. It's either all true or else we need to trust none of it. Right? It's either all true or we trust none of it. And so the word of God is, according to Scripture, is pure. Uh, and again, I love that verse, Psalm 12, 6, says, The word of the Lord is, are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of the earth, purified seven times. All the impurities are gone. It has been tried. And if you think about something that's been tried and tested, withstood the test of the time, it is the word of God. It has withstood the test of time. And we'll look at that here in just a minute. And so the purity of the word is important for us to understand because as we believe the word is pure, as we believe it's true, it's going to impact our lives. If I think less of the Bible, then it's going to have a less influence over me. The more I think of it, the more influence it will have. Quite simple. And so the purity of the word is important. I must come to my own conclusion, and you must come to your own conclusion, of where you stand on the word of God. Do you view it as God's holy, perfect, pure word or not? And if you do, then it's going to have a tremendous amount of influence over your life. You're going to invest time into it. You're going to study it. You're going to want to learn more of it. You can't get enough of it. You're going to hunger for it and thirst for it because you know it's God's pure, perfect word. But if we have a low view of the Bible, well, then we'll set it down and not think much about it, right? And so our view of it is important. And so the purity of the word is, is one way in which we know that it is the word of God. There's a direct correlation between the influence which the Bible has over it and our view of it. They go hand in hand. So look at number two. Number two is its presumption. It's presumption. It, uh, the Bible itself presumes to be the Word of God. right? If we, if we go into the Scriptures, there is no other book that makes the claims the Bible makes. Uh, the Bible claims itself that it is the very Word of God. Now, we don't have time to go through all these because there's over 3,800 times in the Bible that it says things such as, God said, or the Lord said, or thus saith the Lord, or the... Uh, the word of the Lord, right, or, or, or so on and so forth, right? There's over 3,800 times the Bible itself declares itself to be the word of God, right? There's no other book that does that. Only this book does. And so the words are pure, and over almost 4,000 times, it declares itself, it presumes itself to be the very word of God. I gave you just a few examples. I, we couldn't go through 3,800 of them tonight. But Exodus 20, verse 1 says, And God spake all these words, saying... Again, that's just one illustration of how we see the Word of God proclaiming and presuming itself to be the Word of God. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 says, God, who at sundry times 
and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Right? Who spake? God did. Right? It's, it's God's word. How did he speak? He spoke through the prophets. How did the holy men of old write? They wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And so God spoke and the men wrote, the prophets wrote. And so it's presuming itself to be uh, the word of God. In 2 Samuel 23, 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue, David said. And so we see the presumption here about the word of God. It declares itself to be the word of God. And because of such, it can be trusted, right? It presumes itself to be the word of God. We see that over 3,800 times declaring itself to be the Word of God. And I want to show you one thing, and I didn't put this down, and uh, but go with me in your Bibles for just a minute to Matthew chapter 17. And I want to study out two storylines here real quick. And um, I want to look at two things here. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13, we see the transfiguration of Jesus. Okay, a, a storyline we know well. Um, we'll kind of scan through it. Um, just quickly, we'll scan through these uh, these thirteen verses and hit some of the points I want to hit on, and then we'll then we'll skip ahead to Second Peter one here in just a second, because I want to show you something. Because we live in a day and time where people will say, uh, "I need a sign," or "I need something to believe there's a God," or "I need some other way for me to believe there's a God." Right? And God says, "You don't need a sign. You need, you have my word." Right? He says, "You have my word." So I want to show you something here that the that that uh, we learn from Peter. Matthew 17, verse 1. So after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, uh, his brother, and he took them up on the mountain. Verse 1 tells us. Verse 2. It says, And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And so here's Jesus on the mount before the three. He's transfigured into his, his gloriness, his holiness, right? He, he is no longer in human form. He is transfigured at this point on this mount, right? It says, His face did shine. Says his son, as the sun, it says his raiment was white as a light. And verse 3, it says, There appeared unto him Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter's like, Is it good that we're here, Lord? <laughs> That's surprising. I'd be like, I got to go. This, doesn't, this is not for me, right? The Lord, is, is it good for us to be here? And he, they want to build up this, these three tabernacles one for Moses, and one for, one for the Lord, and one for Elijah. Verse 5, it says, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And the voice out of the cloud says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Again, you see God the Father speaking here. And what do they do? They fall on their face. And I'll just put a little plug in here for just a minute because we're going to get this when we get to the study on the one true God. When we see Jesus for who He is, we will not stand before Him. We will fall before Him. Right? You go into the book of Revelation. And in Revelation, when John the Revelator saw Jesus in His glorious and says His eyes were burning as, as fire, it says He fell at His feet as though He were dead. You all hear the song that people, you know, when we get to heaven, He's got a big old yard, we're going to play football and, you know, all these kind of things. Like I'm like, no, we're not. We're going to fall at His feet as though we were dead. Okay, <laughs> Read the Bible. All right, so it says we're going to fall at His feet as though we were dead. So when they saw this, they, they saw that Jesus was transfigured. They heard the voice of God. It says they fell on their face and they were sore afraid. Right? And so we see the holiness of God here. We see the holiness of Jesus here. Right? And so they had this moment on the mount. All right? and, and Simon Peter was there. Now, go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to do this another time here in just a minute. I'm going to jump you around a little bit. That's all right. Wednesday nights we can do this, right? We got time. We ain't got nowhere to go, right? We can put on some coffee. Is that one of y'all over here who said that last week? 2 Peter 1. 
16. He says, For we have not followed... 2 Peter 1.16 says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So verse 16, Simon Peter says this, We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Right? And we're going to see what he's talking about here in a minute. Verse 17, For, we, for He received from God the Father honor and glory. Right? Remember what God said when they were on the mountain? This is my beloved Son whom I am well pleased. He says, He received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's speaking of the Mount of Transfiguration here. Verse 18, And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. And so he's recounting here the, the time where they were on the Mount of Transfiguration and he saw Jesus in all his holiness and God the Father speak out of heaven, say, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And look at verse 19. We hit this verse last week. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. All right, now, let's back up for a minute. He's talking about an event that unfolded in his life. The event that unfolded in his life was a time where he was on the mount, Jesus was transfigured, God the Father spoke, and he's saying that right now I have a more sure word of prophecy. And what's he speaking to? If you read the rest of that passage, he says, knowing this first, the no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What is he speaking of? He's speaking of the Scriptures. Right? He's speaking of the Bible. And so he says, I had this tremendous experience upon the mount. Jesus was transfigured. God the Father spoke. This is my beloved... I mean, a tremendous event unfolded in his life. And he says, if I have this, I have a more sure word of prophecy. Right? He's trusting that the Word of God is pure. It is true. It is complete. It is God's Word. And he completely trusts it. And so... He, he begins to unfold some of those things. But you think about today, so many people say, I need a sign, I, I need something from the Lord to know that He is true. And, and Simon Peter tells us there in that text, we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have the Scriptures. I could take you down a, a rabbit hole if we, if we wanted to. I'm easily caught up in those. Uh, and begin to study some of the, some of the things we see and. And uh, of people who, uh, of texts in the scriptures where they des desired after a sign. And he says, no, you have the word. And let me take you just to one. And I don't think I put it on your, on your lesson. But I, oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. That, uh, they're on your lesson, John 4, 47 through 50. Um, we, let, me, let me just speak on this one. There's more, but I'll just speak on this one. All right, so many people today, you know, looking for some kind of sign rather than going to the word of God. I remember as a kid... As a kid, you don't know much, right? I didn't know much. And I remember standing outside as a kid saying, God, if you're real, make that bird land on my finger kind of thing, right? Kids say the darndest things, right? The reality is the whole time I'm saying that, there's a Bible sitting inside my room that tells me all about the, word, the true God, right? I just need to go. We have a more sure word of prophecy. We don't need a sign. We don't need something. We have the word of God. Look here at John 4, 47 through 50. It says, when we heard that Jesus was come out of Judea and the Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son. This is obviously, the, uh, the gentleman here had a sick son. He says, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The noble saith unto him, sir, come down ere my, ch uh, or my child die. Jesus saith unto him, go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the what? Word. The word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. Jesus says, are you saying if you won't have a sign, you won't believe? And he says, sir, please come down and heal my child. And he says, go thy way. And it says, the man believed his word. Listen, we don't need a, a sign, a new revelation. I don't need a dream. I don't need an angel. I don't need anything else. 
I just need to open up the book that God's given us. Right? I need to open up the Word of God. The Word of God is pure and it is true. And it presumes itself to be the Word of God. The Bible presumes to be from God. The claim that it is from God and no man did it is, is clear throughout the Scripture. Uh, the men, is, is, if I remind you, were simply the pens and God was the ultimate author. If you think about the, the, the writers of Scripture, you think about the things they were writing of, many times they did not even know. Right? Many times they did not know. Think about John the Revelator writing the book of Revelation. He's pitting things that have not even yet happened. Right? He's, he's writing of things that have not taken place yet. The Old Testament prophets were writing of things that had not yet happened. Now, many of them uh, have come to pass, right? But they, at the time of the writing, they did not know what they were writing. But yet, what did history show us? They fulfilled perfectly, right? And so we see the Bible itself speaking of that. The only way that can happen is if behind those pins and behind those men is a God who knows everything. And so the God who knows everything told those men what to write. They wrote those things out, and we see they played out beautifully. And so uh, we see the Bible itself presumes to be the Word of God. So we don't need anything else. The Bible itself is pure, and the Bible presumes to be the Word of God. Let's look, number three, at the Bible's protection. It's protection. God protects His Word. And these are just some ways, and I'm sure there's more if we had time, but of how God has, has protected His Word, um, and He will only continue to do so. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Right? Are His words going to last forever based on that verse? Absolutely, right? They're going to last forever. Heaven and earth will pass. His words shall not pass. We see we can also know the Bible is God's Word because it is protected. Again, as I said before, it's the most loved and the most hated book of all time, right? There's been attempts all throughout history to destroy the Scriptures, but they've been unsuccessful, right? God has protected it, and He will continue to protect His Word. His Word has been preserved Satan's been attacking the Word of God from the beginning, but yet the Word of God is still preserved. There's counterfeits out there. There's, there's false Bibles out there, but yet the Bible has been preserved. The true Word of God is still preserved. Mocking and trying to change the Word of God has happened, but yet the Bible is still preserved. God has protected it. There's all kinds of things out there today. If you were to go to a, to a, a store and look at all the different types of Bibles and things that are out there, there's all kinds of things out there. There's the Message Bible, which kind of takes the Bible and puts it into our our the way we talk today, right? Which has taken it from being a Bible and turned it into a commentary, right? It's not the Bible because the Bible is, doesn't need us. That, that, right? it's, it's, it's basically them taking the original text and saying, well, let's put it in the way we talk today. Well, that's just making it into a commentary. It's not the Scriptures. But yet, many will hold to it as a Bible, right? And we see all kinds of things to, to alter the Scriptures. You go to maybe some other versions of the Bible uh, where verses are literally removed from the Scripture, right? You go to the NIV Bible and there's verses completely missing. You'll just it'll skip right by a verse, and you're like, well, where'd that verse go? And it's an important verse, right? You, and you begin to search for some of those verses, missing verses. And so the Word of God is protected. God has preserved it, and He has protected it, and He will continue to do so. Uh, there's been many attempts throughout history uh, to, to, to dethrone and take away the Word of God, yet all unsuccessfully. Um, and, and so let's uh, um, go with me. Sitting on your lesson either. You can write it down there and turn your Bible. This is what gets me in trouble. Jeremiah 36. And let's, uh, I'm going to scan through a text here to show the protection of God's Word. To show that uh, no matter what man may try and do to God's Word, God is going to protect it and preserve it. There's a storyline here of a king, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, if I'm saying his name right, uh, who didn't like what he heard. 
Uh, he was given the Word of God. He didn't like it. And he tried to destroy it. And uh, Jeremiah 36. Jeremiah 36. There's uh, uh, Jeremiah had penned the words. The Lord had obviously given him these words. He penned them. Uh, and they went to a gentleman by the name of uh, Baruch. And it says they asked in verse uh, 17. Go to verse 17 with me. And it says, And they asked Baruch, saying, Tell us now, how dost thou write all these words at his mouth? Then Baruch answered them in verse 18, He pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Then said the princes unto Baruch, Go hide thee thou and Jeremiah, and let no man know where ye be. And they went into the king and into the court, but laid up, uh, laid up the roll in the chamber of uh, Elishama, I think is how you say that, the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of the king. And the king sent Jehudi and fetched the roll, and he took it out of uh, uh, Elishama, the, the scribe's chamber. Jehudi read it in the ears of the king. And in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. And now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. Verse 23. And it came to pass that when Jehudi had read uh, three or four leaves, he cut it with a penknife, and he cast it into the fire that was on the hearth, until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the earth. In other words, the king did not like what he heard. Right? And so he destroyed it, he cut it up, he tosses it into the fire, thinking, I'm going to destroy the word of God. I don't want to hear this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do away with it. I'm going to get rid of it. It goes on. It says, and it says they were not afraid in verse 24. Now, fast forward with me to verse uh, 20. Just skip to 26. It says, But the king commanded uh, Jerahamel, the son of uh, Hamelech, and, and Sarah, the son of Azrael. Y'all say these names real quick, right? Shalemah, right? <laughs> Couldn't it just be like a bunch of John, Mark, and Toms in the Bible? But, uh, but anyway, it says, it says, But the Lord hid them, right? Verse 27. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after that the king had burned the roll and the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, Take thee again another roll. And here's what he says. He says, Take thee again another roll and write in it all the former words that were in the first roll which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned. And thou shalt say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Thus saith the Lord. So he says, Do this. Repin those words. And he repinned those words. And he went on to, there were some more words that were, were added as we'll see as we read through that text. And so the words were rewritten. The words were preserved. God says, you may try and destroy my word, but I'm going to protect my word. It's going to go forth. And so the word of God was repinned. And so I remind you that the word of God is protected. God has protected his word. No matter how many attempts are made to destroy it or get rid of it or eliminate it, God will protect it. It'll be preserved. He's not going to allow that to happen. Matthew 24 uh, 35, God, again, is the protector of His Word. He says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And so they will not pass. Matthew five eighteen says, For verily I send you till heaven and earth pass. One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass in the law till all be fulfilled. That one jot or one tittle is the smallest stroke in, their, in the original uh, uh, language. And so that, you know, it's kind of like the dot of the eye or the comma, right? The smallest little marks, he says, will not pass. He says, till heaven, until the, the law be fulfilled. And so it is all protected. The word is settled in heaven. The word is true from the beginning and endureth forever. God is protecting and watching over his word. And so the word of God is protected. And he is the one who protects it. And let me add this. We see uh, next there, the Lord has also instructed us, you and I, because it is protected, to not add or take away from the words of this book. And this is important. And I want us to... Uh, this one kind of gets under my crawl a little bit, and I'll explain why. You know, when, when you, you tell your kids something, they try and twist your words. It makes you mad, right? 
Well, God said something, and we don't need to twist his words. Right? And so here's, here's what he says. There's three places in the Bible, the beginning, the middle, and the end, that he gives us some verses. He tells us, don't add or take away from my word. And he gives us some pretty stern consequences of doing so, right? They're what we call uh, guardian verses. They're, they're, they're guarding the scriptures, right? And those three verses we gave you there, Deuteronomy 4.2, he says, You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. So he says, do not add unto the word. Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6 that we read a minute ago, says every word of God is pure. He is assured unto them put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. So if I add to the word of God, I'm going to be found, scripturally it says there, a liar. And at the very end of the book, almost the last verse, close to the last verse, Revelation 22, 19, he says, If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And so we see three different places. We are told not to add or to take away from the word of God. God protects his word, right? We just heard about the king that says, I'm going to destroy it. He says, nope, that's not going to happen. We're going to make sure it gets where it needs to go. We're going to pin it again if we need to, right? He took care of the word of God. He tells you and I not to add or take away from it. In other words, and this is, this, this is uh, <laughs> you, you hear it all the time, and it just, as a, as, a, as a preacher, it goes right through you. But people will say, I know what the Bible says, but. Oh, man. Don't ever say it to me, please. Don't ever say it to me. I know what the Bible says, but. Because immediately you're going to discount what the Bible just said. Right? I know what it says, but. And no, just stop there. Just, just period. Don't, don't put anything else beyond that point. Because what you're going to do at that point is you're going to try and justify something, and you're going to end up twisting the Scriptures. Right? And so we're not called to add or to take away from what the Word says. It doesn't need my help. I can't make it any better. It's perfect. It's pure, as we read about. And so the Word of God is completely pure. It is perfect. It is protected. And so it doesn't need my help. I don't need to add or take away from it. I just need to present it as it is and let it do the work. It's powerful, as we'll get to. And so we see there that God protects His Word. Yes, Brother Dan. I, I'm not, I don't want to stop you, but I, I want to stop you just a second. Uh, I was asked within the last couple months by a young man in our church to... Uh, maybe give my explanation of uh, Revelation twenty two nineteen, and I did my best to do that. Mm-hmm. You're a pastor, I'm going to let you do it. <laughs> <laughs> as far as taking the part out of the book of life? Correct. It's a tricky verse, isn't it? You, know, you read through it, and, and here's, here's the way it was explained to me, and I don't have the corner on the market. Okay. Right? So you can take it or leave it, eat the chicken, leave the bone. But... As I say that verse out, I know scripturally, and I, I always take scripture, compare it with scripture. Right? What'd you say? <laughs> you laughing at my eat chicken, leave the bone? That's saying. You're saying chicken. Oh. Uh, sorry. Hey, I understood. You got it, Dan? Yeah, I got it. All right. I always take, because it's easy to take one verse and get tripped up when God gave us a whole bunch, right? And so I always take scripture with scripture with scripture, and, and it all works together. All right, we can go all throughout the Scripture, and nowhere in Scripture do we see we can lose our salvation. So a lot of times people will read that verse, and they'll say, if I take away from the Word of, or if, if I take away from the Scriptures, it says, God shall take away his part of the book of life. In other words, it would sound as though he's going to remove Matt Stallings from the book of life, meaning I'm going to lose my salvation. Now, scripturally, I go through the Scriptures, and I see countless times over that I, I can't lose my salvation, right? So I have to somehow marry those two together. And here's what I've, I've come to my own conclusion on. You can take it, you can leave it. As a child of God, as one who has surrendered to 
the God is my Lord and is my Savior. I'm also submitting to him and I'm submitting to his word. And so as one who has submitted to his word, I have no desire or interest in changing his word because I understand it to be as it is. And so as a true child of God, as one who is genuinely born again and saved, I'm not going to alter his word. Therefore, my name <laughs> is in the book of life, right? The only one I believe personally reading this scripture is one who's genuinely not converted, right? Someone who's not saved would obviously want to alter the scriptures and change the scriptures. And so my take on this is I don't take this verse and say you can lose your salvation. I believe that one who would want to alter the scripture is one who does not, not, has not submitted to Christ as Lord, right? Has not submitted to his lordship and would be someone who is not genuinely born again. Is that where you stand? Uh, I like the explanation. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. So I, I, it's a definitely a stern warning, right? It's, it's a good warning for you and I as a child of God. It makes me say, I'm not going to mess with the Bible. Right? I'm not going to mess with it. I'm going to hold it as it is, and I'm going to keep it as it is. And I'm not going to take away from the Scriptures. And so uh, that's, my, that's my stance on it. As a, as a true born-again believer, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I don't want to alter the Scriptures, and therefore I don't have to worry about it. My name will be there for sure. Right? But I don't believe Scripture with Scripture. I don't believe we can lose our salvation. Um, all right, so uh, the Word of God is protected. Uh, we see that, uh, again, throughout there. We see it. In these three different places as well. Uh, if I start, I might not finish. Right. What? We can pick it up next week. We can pick it up next week. We'll dive into its perfection next week. Man, but, the, but oh, it's good though. Pick it up where you finish next week. He wants you to keep going. Oh, you want me to keep going? I can keep going. Hey, I can go all night. All right, let's go for it. Let's go for it. We'll just see where we get. It's perfection, all right? So, again, there's, there's a lot of ways in which we can know the Bible is the Word of God. Thank you, Brother Dan. I love it. I'll just keep preaching. No, nah, no, nah, stop it. <laughs> Dan gave me the green light. Anybody got any complaints? See, Dan. I've already had something. <laughs> <laughs> we see it's, uh, it's perfection is another way. Um, uh, there's there's several, uh, several passages here we can see. Psalm 119, 128 through 130 says, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. The interest of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. You see all things right. They're, uh, you know, hate every false way. It's, it's perfect. Again, that kind of flows back to the purity of the Word of God. It kinda, these can kind of go hand in hand. It's perfect, and we'll get into that again here in just a second. Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. That's pretty clear, right? It's pretty straightforward. It's perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. And so the word of God is perfect, he says in, in, in many words there. And he says it should be more desired than gold, fine gold, honey, the honeycomb. We should keep it. There is great reward in doing so. You think about the scriptures being perfect. And, and let this thought sink in for just a moment. Inside of the book that's sitting in front of you, it's a book of books, right? There's 66 books. There's over 40 human authors. It was written over a span of 1,600 years, right? And so inside of this, and many of these authors, obviously because of this length of time it was uh, penned, did not know each other many different backgrounds. But yet, as they pen the scriptures, 
And all the scriptures come together. Everything just works together perfectly. Everything matches up from the Old Testament to the New. It aligns. You look at the Old Testament prophecies that we'll get into in the next one, and it aligns perfect with what unfolded in the New Testament. And everything just works together beautifully. And you think about how in the world can 40 men author the scripture over a span of 1,600 years and it come together so perfectly? Well, obviously because there's one true author behind it. It's, it's perfect in all ways. If I were to pass out a pen and paper to all of us in this room, and pick a person, some famous person, whoever, right? And say, write everything you know about that person. And then I collected them all up. And there's probably less than 40 of us in this room, right? Less than what authored the scripture. And I began to read those unto all of us. There would probably be some contradictions, right? Some would say he's a good person. Some would say he's a bad person, right? We'd have different views and opinions, right? And we couldn't get that right on one person in this room, just amongst the group that's here. But yet, scripturally, over 1,600 years, 40 human authors... And everything perfectly matches together Old and New Testament, right? Again, those things confirm the Bible to be the Word of God. The only way that's possible with the author being God behind it. And so we see the harmony blends throughout the pages of Scripture. The inspiration is clearly seen here. Before Columbus, think about these things. Before Columbus ever proved the earth was round, the Bible told us it was round. Isaiah 40, 22, it is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And inhabits, uh, inhabitants uh, thereof as grasshoppers that stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a, twin, a tent to dwell in. And so we see it's the circle of the earth. It's, it's right before Columbus went out and figured it out, God already had it established in his word. It was already told. It was perfect. You think about before science with a telescope confirmed that the earth was hanging on nothing in space. Can you imagine trying to figure that out, right? Rewind a lot of years before you had all this technology and you don't know what's going on beyond, this, beyond what you can see. Right? Today we have telescopes that can see out who knows how far these days. It's crazy, right? And we can see what's going on out there, but they didn't know these things. But yet God put it in his word, what was unfolding. Wow. Job, jo, uh, job. Job 26.7. Job. Uh, job 26.7. He that stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. So before mankind ever figured out that earth was just literally hanging on nothing, God knew it. Right? God established it in his word. Scientifically, we see it. The Bible is a perfect book, a living book, and will always, year after year, sustain the reader. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing him to dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so we see the perfection here of the word of God. The word of God is perfect, and the only way it's perfect, again, as we have said, is because of the one true author that's behind it, is the only way it, it, it uh, remains and is as such. And so we see the perfection of the word. And so all the things that mankind has tried to figure out, God has already known. He's already established. Now, keep in mind, I was, I was listening to some sermons this week on the scriptures, and people will say, well, you know, this, this book's not good for uh, uh, scientific matters, or it's not good for this matter, or it's not good for, you know, all these different things they try and justify to bring the word of God down. Well, this book was never claimed to be those things, right? This is an eternal book, but it's a book that's more concerned with things of spiritual matters right? This is not a science book. Is there a lot of things about science within it? Yes. And there's some wonderful things in there, but he didn't give us this for science. He didn't give it to us for arithmetic. He didn't give us, he gave us to us so we may know of our Lord and savior. There's a spiritual and eternal message behind the scriptures. And so people will try and bring the word of God down by saying, well, it doesn't speak to these matters. Or this matter, you say it's perfect for everything. It's not perfect for these. That wasn't his intent. He's not trying to teach us science. He's trying to teach us how to be saved and go to heaven, right? And so there's a, there's a message in the scriptures that flows all throughout the scriptures that point us to our need of a Savior. The whole Bible speaks of the summation of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament shows our need. The Gospels show who He is. 
And then beyond that shows us what to do with him. And Revelation shows us of his return. Everything points to Jesus Christ and how to be right with God through the perfect work of Jesus Christ. And so the scriptures are perfect in every single way we see. Now we'll stop and I'll hit prophecy next week. I made it through that. Dan, that was good. I didn't think I'd get through that one. But we'll dive into prophecy next week because prophecy is definitely going to take us some time. Um, when we look at prophecy next week, man, we could really get stuck on that one. But we're not going to. I'm going to try not to. Uh, but prophecy confirms the scripture. We'll look into that next week. Uh, and then we'll close out with the power behind the Bible. So uh, any thoughts or takeaways or questions on anything tonight on, uh, on the scriptures? All good?